Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Now, John is gone today and Michael has brought on a fantastic guest. And I can attest to the fact that he is a fantastic guy because I work with him on his podcast, which is Live Life Liberated with the team of Centura Wealth Advisory. So Michael and Derek, I don't know how you guys met in the first place, but I'd love to hear a little bit of that story. And uh, also, I'd love to just welcome you both to the show because we're going to talk about a lot today. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks, Derek, for uh, joining us today. Thank you both for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, great. So uh, I can probably talk about how we met. We were members of uh, an advisor peer group, and uh, we met probably a couple years ago, I think, Derek. Actually, my father, John, met you first, and then uh, at, at a later meeting, I'd, I had the opportunity to meet you. But we met uh, at that meeting, and it turned out that we both had similar philosophies on planning with families, and, and that led to uh, a good collegial relationship between our firms. And uh, that's where we're going to talk about today is one of the strategies that we use Derek's firm uh, for. Fantastic. So this particular strategy we're going to talk about today is called a charitable lead annuity trust. Now, for the listeners of our podcast, you've probably heard us talk about charitable planning mm-hmm. quite a few times on prior podcasts. And this charitable lead annuity trust is one strategy that families can look at to really help their charitable uh, desires be manifested and also get some other tax benefits and some other uh, really unique benefits along the way. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So Derek, again, thank you for, for joining us today. And just to start off, can you explain what a charitable lead annuity trust is? Yeah, thank you, Michael. Um, A charitable lead annuity trust, oftentimes, uh, when I am speaking to taxpayers, they said, I I haven't heard of this structure before. And when this tool is popular is when interest rates are very low. This is a mirror image of a tool that most taxpayers and advisors have heard of, which is the charitable remainder unitrust. And this is the mirror image of that transaction and works very well when interest rates are low, like today. Yeah, that's one thing that is absolutely correct from our standpoint. I think we can get into this, I'm sure, in, in the podcast today, but now is a very good time to look at these transactions for the reasons you just mentioned. It's a lower interest rate environment with all that we're dealing with in the economy today. So this this transaction can really provide a lot of value to taxpayers uh, just because of the, the timing of everything and where we're at today. But can you walk a little bit through how the, the transaction works? Because we often refer to these trusts as we call them split interest type of trusts. Can you walk through sort of the, the features of this trust, who the beneficiaries are? Because there's going to be, we talked about it's going to be a charitable strategy. So I'm assuming that there's going to be a charitable component to this trust, correct? Correct. So I like to describe this trust. There are three tax benefits to this trust, and not all taxpayers who look at or consider implementing a charitable lead annuity trust need to have charitable intent. So what do I mean by that? If you give a dollar away today, 
the IRS gives you a dollar tax deduction. But what if you promise to give a dollar away 10 years from now or 15 or 20 years from now? The IRS publishes an interest rate, and the month that you set one of these trusts up, you get to choose between that month, we're in May 2020, or the two preceding months, and taxpayers select the lowest interest rate. Today, for the month of May, the IRS says if you set up one of these for any duration, 5, 10, let's just say 10 years, the IRS says you're going to make 0.8% every day for the next 10 years. 0.8%. Right. Many of our taxpayers say, well, gosh, I believe I can make a, a, a larger return than 0.8%. Let's assume that I think I'm going to earn 7 or 8 or 10. The power in this strategy is the spread, the difference between what the IRS says you're going to make and what the taxpayer believes they're going to make. So the difference there, if the taxpayer says 10% and the IRS is saying 0.8, that 9.2%, that spread for 10 years period of time, that money can go back to you and your family. So let's talk about an example. Let's say that a taxpayer says, I'm interested in looking at a grantor charitable lead annuity trust, and I'm going to set one up and put a million dollars in it. So we set up this trust, and the, the spouse and the taxpayer can be the trustees if they like, or they may name family to be the trustees. And they then make a commitment to give money to charity. And under, under our example, let's assume they put a million dollars in and they agree to give $1,000 a year for the next nine years to charity. And in the last year, they're going to give a million seventy-two thousand. So in total, they're going to give away a million eighty-one thousand. For that right, the government's going to discount those 10 years of cash flows and the IRS formula is going to come back and say, for making this promise to give away money in the future, we're going to give you a $999,000 tax deduction. That's pretty crazy. I have given no money away today. I get a $999,000 tax deduction today for promising to give money away in the future. I mean, that, that's really powerful at the way that you've structured and, and can structure this type of trust. And what, what are people's reaction when you walk them through this strategy? Because most, uh, I, I would think you would agree, most families, when they look at philanthropic planning in general, they're, they're more, m most of the time they're you know, writing a check to their church or to an institution that maybe they went to school, uh, you know, in, to, to college. How does this strategy? How do they react to this strategy? Because this is in it, sort of foreign to them, I would imagine, when you have this conversation with them initially. Correct? It it is, and this is meant to either augment or supplement their current charitable giving if they're uh, charitably inclined, or if people aren't charitably inclined, but we can show them financially how this transaction can benefit them and their estate. So. Let me go back to that example where we we're giving $1,000 away for nine years, and then we gave $1,072,000 away in the final year. 
the IRS says this, if you just earned 0.8% over the 10-year period, there would only be $1,000 left in the account. But in my example, let's say the taxpayer says, I'm going to assume that I'm going to earn 7%. So if you did the math, it will say that there will be 881000 if you earn 7% instead of what the IRS presumes you're going to earn at 0.8%. So the taxpayer gets this $999,000 tax deduction, and they can use it at 30% of adjusted gross income. So if a taxpayer has a $3.5 million adjusted gross income, 30% of that, they will consume that deduction all in year one. And depending on where, what state they pay income taxes in, that likely could be in the 50% income, bracket, income tax bracket between federal and state, depending on where they live. If they live in New Jersey or California, they'll definitely be north of 50%. Oh, yeah. So if you've put a million dollars in and you get a 500 if and you save $500,000 in tax in year 1, you've now consumed that charitable deduction in the first year. Taxpayers get 6 years to consume the deduction, assuming their income isn't high enough. Maybe their income is only $2 million and they're going to use 30% in the first year, that'd be 600,000 and their income's 2 million next year, they'll get the balance, the 400000 would be consumed, and they'd consume it up. The number one risk in putting together grant or charitable lead annuity trust is sizing the deduction too big. Because if you size this deduction too big, you have six years to consume the deduction. If you don't consume it, it expires worthless like all charitable deductions. So making sure that... The advisor does a good job of projecting out your income and making sure they understand how when they dump that income through the IRS Plinko machine, that this charitable deduction is really going to shave off income at the highest brackets is really important consideration. Yeah, and that's and that's why we really enjoy working with your firm because you are specialists. We consider you to be specialists in being able to plan for that because I think you hit the nail on the head. A lot of times when clients are going through a a charitable conversation, and whether their motivation is philanthropy or or simply to save tax dollars, being able to use that deduction is a is a key thing. And, and being able to plan for that ahead of time is really, really important. So I really like how you described that in terms of being able to forecast out the income of the particular family that's engaging in this transaction to make sure that they're maximizing the benefit. That's really, really important. It really is, Michael. And we take some safety precautions. We usually eliminate uh, deductions in years five and six and, and plan on consuming this charitable deductions in years one through four, just as an added measure of safety. If we have a coronavirus or we have something that causes your income to go down for a year or two, you have an extra year or two to plan on how best to consume that charitable deduction. That's, that's, even, that's even better, even being more conservative. That's great. That's great to hear. Uh, Derek, you mentioned earning in your example that you just gave 7% and that the I guess you call it the hurdle rate or the threshold rate today is 0.8%. So can you talk a little bit about the investment 
strategy inside of of this trust can families invest these funds however they want do they can they control the investments can they uh, use their money management firm to be able to manage the investments can you walk our listeners through that strategy a little bit absolutely so one disadvantage of grantor charitable lead annuity trusts is that all the income that is generated in that trust flows back to the taxpayer and the taxpayer pays the income taxes on any income that occurs out in that trust now under a term trust we made this one a 10-year term we didn't link it to somebody's life expectancy we most of ours are a term until the term is that term ends and charitable lead annuity trusts term trusts in on one of two events one they make terrible investments out there in the trust and the assets go to zero the taxpayer keeps the tax deduction is precluded from putting any more money in the trust they file a final return and the transaction's over not a good outcome yes they saved 500 in tax but they lost 500,000 of their own capital not a good outcome but the trust is over the second outcome in our example we had the trust go 10 years and this will lead to the second tax deduction in this second tax deduction the taxpayer has obligated themselves to pay or to distribute a million seventy two thousand to charity by year 10. they may do that prior to year 10. so we tell taxpayers make them these trusts a little longer than they otherwise would and here's the reason if the let's make this taxpayer say that they have a an asset inside of their estate and it's worth a million just happens to be worth a million seventy two thousand and it's a piece of real estate or it's a stock and it's going to liquidate and the taxpayer is going to just make it up they're going to pay three or four hundred thousand dollars in tax and so they call you up and say michael i've got this capital event that's going to happen and i'd like to avoid the tax so what michael would recommend is let's change the title on this piece of real estate from your will or your living trust and put it inside the name of the your charitable lead annuity trust you have to move assets for fair market value out now a transaction this transaction just occurred under a, a trust term called power of substitution and a sale didn't occur and the reason a sale didn't occur the IRS views the, this taxpayer as the same person, both uh, in your, the taxpayer's estate and the grantor clat. Now we have this piece of property in the grantor clat, and you survey the taxpayer. Do you want this money all to go to your church? Do you want it to go to your favorite charity? Do we want to open up a donor-advised fund or their own private foundation? Maybe the taxpayer doesn't want to give away the entire million 72,000 all in one shot. Let's assume they say, I want to open my own donor advised fund and I'm going to transfer that piece of real estate from the CLAT to the donor advised fund. And then the liquidation event happens. All of those taxpayers are non taxpaying entities. Now the donor advised fund has received the million 72,000. The CLAT's term has now expired. We've paid the full million eighty-one thousand nine years of a thousand bucks. 
plus the million seventy-two. We've paid the full amount to charity. Whatever's left inside this trust will transfer to the remainder beneficiaries. No tax. They'll inherit. They'll get these assets with the same cost basis as they were sitting on the balance sheet of the CLAT. So that's a second tax benefit. We, the first tax benefit is we got this $999,000 deduction in year one, and we saved in our example 500 grand in tax. The second tax benefit is eight, nine, 10 years from now, in our example, we were able to avoid the recognition of a large tax event, which saved us, I made it up three to 400,000 in tax. So when you add tax benefit one plus tax benefit two, that really drops the break-even rate of return on this transaction. There is a, believe it or not, a third tax benefit in this transaction. The first two tax benefits, most taxpayers uh, enjoy. The third tax benefit in this transaction is for people who say, I don't need the assets in this trust. I want it to go to the next generation. So you remember on day one, the IRS said this million dollars is considered a $999,000 charitable deduction and a $1,000 remainder interest. The taxpayers, day one, the very next year, can file a split interest gift tax return for that $1,000, which says, I'm going to give it to my kids or I'm going to give it to a trust and the value of it's worth a thousand dollars. Now, if we earned 7% on those assets over the entire period, there would be $881,000 that would transfer to their children or a trust for their children free of estate and gift tax. Pretty powerful. Yeah, that third benefit is is one that I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you whether there there were any additional benefits from an estate planning standpoint because a lot of the families that we work with and a lot of our listeners have potentially that type of exposure and if if you followed what Derek was saying everybody that this is really a way and I I hate to I hate to use the term a a free gift but when we look at estate planning, advanced estate planning, and using efficiently this lifetime gift and estate tax exemption that we have, this transaction that Derek just walked everybody through is really about as efficient of a gifting transaction as you can come up with. There's a, there's quite a few others, but this one in particular is a really, really powerful tool. And if you think about, and this is not even adding in a lot of the income tax benefits that you mentioned, Derek, one question I have for you to follow up with, the, with, with what you what you just discussed is what again this is likely a strategy that many people probably haven't heard of why do you think this isn't more commonplace and and and, and maybe part two to that question is this a kosher transaction is this something that's been around for a long time and and again why aren't people using this more if it has been something that's basically been blessed by the irs great questions um, so it has been around a long time, but back to what I shared with to begin with, the reason it's powerful today is because of the low interest rate environment, which really happened after 09. Now, prior to 09, when people would use this strategy is they would put it inside their will or their trust, and it was called a testamentary clap. And what that says is upon my death, 
if I owe estate taxes, my children can elect a clat to mitigate some of those taxes. Probably the most famous example is Jackie O. When she passed away, her two children had the opportunity to let an elect a testamentary clat to mitigate the estate taxes. They decided not to do that. That was in the 90s. This has been around for many decades. Um, it has been a very common for estate transfer, wealth transfer, not common for income tax planning. And because there's the three tax benefits, tax benefit one and two, we have a lot of uh, professionals that have high income and they're looking for ways to supercharge their retirement. This is a fantastic tool to do that. You asked earlier, Michael, about what could be invested in there. It's pretty much anything. However, we have to be careful for real estate that you own and control. We can't have leverage on that those properties. Um, but oftentimes, we, we see a lot of limited partnership interests in real estate. And I think there's two reasons why that's a pretty favorite investment inside of this structure. Number one, it throws off depreciation and shields all the income from taxation. A lot of our taxpayers say, do not send me what's called phantom income. Right. An income tax bill, and I don't get access to the income or the cash until this trust terminates. So that sometimes can make taxpayers feel less, uh, more illiquid, and, and they usually do not want that. 95% of the time saying, do not send me phantom income. So I think that's a common reason. I think the second common reason is that uh, the just the the coupons from the rent typically are five, six, seven, eight percent, and they believe even if they didn't get growth on the properties, that the the rent coupons will more than enough make this thing a positive transaction for them and their estate. So I think those two reasons are two common reasons why many put. LP interests in real estate in these transactions. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I think you having the right investment strategy paired with this is another important component that you brought up, uh, which I, which again another reason why we enjoy working with you and your firm because that is a key component of the design of this. And so hopefully, if you're listening, you see that the, these are really complicated transactions from the standpoint of all of the different moving parts and and. Derek and, and his firm at Centura Wealth Advisory have really done a very good job of really looking at this type of transaction from front to back and making sure that all of the T's are crossed and I's are dotted in terms of the various uh, features and components and variables that go into this transaction. So uh, kudos to you that this is a really great design. Um, one thing we always try to do, Derek, on our podcast is try to we try to boil this down to a real life example. Is there a, a client or a family that you and your firm worked with where they've implemented this strategy? And can you walk the audience through some of the the fact patterns for that family and why they ended up deciding to go with this strategy? And, and then a third component, what was the benefit at the end of the day? Great set of questions. Um, since 2010, our firm has uh, completed 200 of these transactions or so. Um, so we have experience in transactions that are as old as 10 years um, and as new as last month. Um, and I think people are really excited to complete 
transactions because this month the um, 7520 rate, the, the rate that the IRS says we have to use is 0.8%. Next month it's going down to 0.6%. It's basically free. Um, so sharing with you, putting together a transaction for a taxpayer is what we uh, discussed earlier is really getting the facts and the assumptions together. And the taxpayer has to help us do that to really project out the income. We don't want the rosy pie in the sky income or too low of an income. We want the 50% median income and what the expenses are. And then we send this over to the CPA, their CPA, and ask them to roll the 2019 income results into 2020. And typically, most CPAs have a tax planner, um, it, which just projects out this income and expenses. And they've get, we've given them our worksheet to project it out. And then it says, listen, assuming tax law doesn't change, what would be the result? And then it gives us, okay, here's what's going to happen from a federal level. And if there's state income, here's what's going to happen on a state level. And we mark that baseline. Then we determine, okay, what size of a class, how, how big of a deduction do we want? And do we want it at 20% of adjusted gross income or 30% or 25%? So those things matter. And how we do that is determines what kind of assets we originally fund into a CLAT. If you fund in assets that have non-appreciable assets, cash or bonds, we get to deduct those at 30% of adjusted gross income. If we fund and put in appreciable assets, stocks, real estate, we only get to deduct it at 20%. Or we may do some combination to get to the right numbers we want. It, unfortunately, putting together these transactions is not a cookie cutter that you can just punch them out. It's the IRS is a Plinko machine, and you have to tailor make each transaction for each taxpayer's particular situation. So, yes, it's a little bit complicated. Yes, it takes a little bit of time to, to dial it in, to do it just right. I think the second half of your question was, to share about the results. Um, over this last decade, um, returns both in equities, bonds, and in real estate have been fantastic. And so the structures that we've put together over the last 10 years have significantly outperformed because the markets have been so good. Most taxpayers say, well, let's presume that we're going to earn six or seven. And if they've got LP interests and in multifamily real estate, maybe they've earned 20%, 15%. And so the, the numbers just look really fantastic, really silly very quickly. Um, you don't have to get those kinds of returns. You can get six, seven, eight percent And these transactions are a real enhancement to retirement income. If that's the position you're in, you need to figure out how to mitigate my taxes over the next five to 10 years to really help get additional retirement assets, great. Or it's really fantastic for people looking at how do I transfer more wealth to the next generation. Both camps work very, very well. Uh, that's, that, that's, a great, that's a great explanation. Thank you for that, Derek. One other question I had, and uh, I think we're probably running out of time a little bit here, 
is you mentioned this is obviously a trust. So this is a legal document. Can you walk through your role with the client and possibly working with the client and the family's uh, legal advisors on drafting these documents? Because if it is a document that the attorney hasn't had familiarity with, I assume they're probably going to need to rely on you and your firm to really help design that, correct? That is true. However, um, I tell clients, if you go to the barber and this is the first person that they're practicing shaving on, I prefer it not to be on my clients. Um, <laughs> so I, I would prefer that we get a practitioner who has done many of these because there are many clauses that are important to have in there. And I'm not a lawyer. I don't profess to be one. And um, so I, I recommend that we get somebody that's experienced, that, that has done, done these, um, to make sure that we get the, the best crafted document. Well, Derek, this was great. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but I, I want to uh, implore the audience that, that may be listening that if you are in a situation where you are in a high income tax bracket, you have over probably about a half a million dollars of, of income, this is a strategy that you should at least take a look at. And we would be more than happy to, uh, or you're more than happy to get in contact with us. We can, we could certainly forward Derek's information to you and his firm. Uh, other areas that you might want to consider if you are concerned about where the estate tax laws are going. I think everybody knows we have a, an election in November coming up. And if you follow the tax laws on the estate and gift tax side, we have a window now between now and the end of 2025, where we have a basically the highest income tax exemption that, or excuse me, estate tax exemption that we've ever had. And there is the possibility that if, let's say, the Democrats win in November, they there could be the possibility that these tax laws changes. So if that is a concern of the family, if you either have exposure today or you're thinking that you might have an exposure in the future on the estate and gift tax side, this is a, a good strategy for you to look at as well. Uh, another call to action, if, if you're philanthropic, uh, this is a charitable strategy. If you're philanthropic, but you're also concerned about maybe wanting to keep some other assets in the family to be able to pass on. If you listen to what Derek talked about earlier, having this low interest rate environment right now makes this strategy very, very attractive to allow a family to achieve your philanthropic objectives, but also give a good opportunity for your family to maintain uh, some succession to these assets that you have as well. So for anyone who's listening who maybe has those scenarios that they're thinking about, please get in touch with us. We're more than happy to introduce Derek and his firm to you because I think it's definitely worth you looking at this type of strategy as a part of your generational wealth plan. Michael, that's fantastic. And for all of you listening, I'm just a voice on the podcast, but I work with both of these guys, both of these teams, and they are fantastic. Um, it is, is something that I am learning so much now. I am not in those scenarios that you just pointed out, Michael, so I don't need to call you for that one day. One day I hope to be in one of those scenarios where I'm making over $500,000 a year, but uh, we'll talk about that when that comes. Uh, Derek, thank you so much for being here. I, I'm looking forward to your next podcast on the Live Life Liberated podcast and your team. And Michael, again, this was fantastic. Thank you for bringing Derek on. No, thank you, Eric. And Derek, thanks again for your uh, expertise, as always. Thank you both, gentlemen. Have a great day. You betcha. And audience, we want to thank you also for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. 
This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services Incorporated, a member of FINRA SIPC Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors.